0: Tortoise. Hello, I'm Tomini and this is The Sensemaker from Tortoise. One story every day to make sense of the world. Today, how some Russians with lots of money and close links to Vladimir Putin have managed to sidestep sanctions. That's after a short break. That was the sound of spectators in the Birdcage Olympic Stadium in Beijing in 2008 as Yelena Isimbaeva set a new world and Olympic record in the women's pole vault. From that moment, she was the greatest women's pole vaulter of all time. Yelena Isimbaeva returned to Moscow a hero of Vladimir Putin's Russia and a favourite of Putin himself. He received her in the Kremlin. He ordered her to be given the honorary rank of Major in the Russian Armed Forces. In 2015, she marched in Red Square in uniform, a symbol of Russian athletes' support for the annexation of Crimea. In her spare time, like so many Putin favourites, she became rich. Fast forward six years to the spring of 2023. Russia's been at war with Ukraine for a year, and Yelena Isinbayeva, a huge celebrity at home, goes missing for a month. In late May, she turns up in Tenerife. Life is good on the Canary Islands if you have money, but Yelena Isimbaeva finds herself condemned at home for fleeing the motherland in a time of crisis and condemned abroad as a privileged Russian sanctions dodger. According to one report, Yelena Isimbaeva was flown to the Canaries in a chartered cargo plane. This sounds plausible. She has been personally sanctioned by Ukraine since 2014. And since the full-blown invasion of Ukraine last year, private jets and super yachts linked to sanctioned Russians risk being seized if they try to land at Western ports. Even in Turkey, they aren't all that welcome. But rich, sanctioned Russians have still been able to live comfortably in the West since the invasion. In Europe, which is behind the US in terms of the number of people on its sanctions lists and the effort it puts into enforcement, and the UK, especially the UK. Here's Mikhail Friedman, a banker with close ties to Putin, speaking to the BBC soon after last year's invasion. Right now, because you are actually trying to do business in the West. The answer is no. You should go back to Russia. On that occasion, he was complaining about being sanctioned and having his bank accounts frozen, even though he didn't support the war. He was asked, could he condemn the war? You know, that, that, that uh, it's a very sensitive issue and I do not have a right. We have uh, dozens of partners and, and creditors and so on. I, I do not have a right to put all of them at risk. So, I do not believe that war could be a solution of that that conflict. Since then, not only has Michael Friedman been able to stay in Britain, a UK court has unfrozen enough of his money for him to be able to pay 19 personal staff, including chefs and chauffeurs, plus £7,000 a month for his immediate family's personal use. It turns out, being close to Putin is no bar to living free and well as long as you have decent lawyers. Friedman's friend, Pyotr Arvin, is in a similar position. Sanctioned, assets frozen, and then £60,000 a month unfrozen to keep him in the style to which he is accustomed. Both are billionaires. Both are beneficiaries of a system of licences operated by a unit of the Foreign Office called the Office for Financial Sanctions Implementation, OFSI for short. Since the start of the war the OFSI has grown from 45 staff to about 140. The value of assets it's frozen has grown from 44 million pounds to an impressive 18.4 billion pounds. That's the good news. Less good, Much of the OFSI's time is spent fielding applications for licences from legal teams working for oligarchs with all the money in the world, and no one is barred from applying to the OFSI for a licence. Not even Yevgeny Prigozhin, head of the Wagner Group and Putin's closest ally, until they had a falling out about two months ago. Last year, Yevgeny Prigozhin asked the OFSI for permission to hire a squad of London lawyers to sue Bellingcat for defamation. Bellingcat uses open source information to investigate war crimes and other human rights abuses. Unlike Yevgeny Prigozhin, it doesn't have unlimited funds from deep within Putin's kleptocracy. The OFSI granted his request anyway. Not that long ago, a few months ago, at the end of last year, he finally after all of these years just came out and said, it was a sort of Scooby-Doo moment where he sort of pulled off his mask and said, actually, I've been lying for the last five years and I really did found the Wagner Group. Um, So it was arguably the most abusive piece of um, sort of uh, defamation uh, litigation in this country's history. There are 1,600 named individuals on Britain's sanctions list, many of them Russian, all keeping the OFSI busy. Helen Taylor, a senior researcher at Spotlight on Corruption, says the UK has been, quote, quick to flex its muscles on sanctions, but less clear on how to respond when the rules are broken. How does it respond? In most cases, we don't know. The OFSI won't say who gets licences or why or how it goes about enforcement. So the worry is the system is undermining the whole purpose of sanctions. Which brings us back to Yelena Isimbaeva. Here she is on gay rights in Russia in 2014. if we will allow uh, to promote and you know do all this stuff uh, on, on the street, we're very afraid about our nations because uh, we um, consider ourselves like a normal standard. Um. People which just live with the uh, boys with women, movements with boys, you know, everything must be fine here. It comes from the history. So we never had any problems, I mean, these problems in Russia and we don't want to have it in the future. Heaven forbid that she might run into anyone with a different idea of normal on the beaches of Tenerife. Thank you for listening to The Sensemaker from Tortoise. This episode was written and reported by Giles Watel. It was mixed by Emmy Harper. Tortoise.